What's up, Warriors? Guy Beverage here with Protectors Toolkit, Christian Safety and Security Made Simple. Man, I tell you, I just love that intro music. It gets me going, it gets me fired up. So I'm so glad you're here tonight joining us for this another edition of Warrior Wednesday. For you warriors out there, and just make sure you understand what I mean when I call you a warrior. If you are a protector of others, if you are a protector team at your church, if you're in the safety and security team at your church, and you're making sure that when people show up to your church, whether they're guests or they are attendees or they are a congregation, whatever you call them, and they're there to have a safe, secure worship environment, then you are a warrior. And we know this from Exodus 15.3. It says that very early on in the Bible, the Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name. And that's why I call you warriors because you are also made in his image we know that so thank you once again for being here now if you're joining us live please let us know drop in the comment section where you're watching from uh, and let us know where you're from and then later on if you're not watching live and you still watch this drop in there leave us some comments uh, what you thought about the broadcast we're so thankful that you choose to be here at protectors toolkit and choose to get this learning from us uh, to you. So let's talk about what Protectors Toolkit is really all about. And we have that in a, uh, a Bible verse that kind of guides and leads us here. It's Proverbs 18, 15. It says this, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And I like how it says it in the easy to read version of the Bible as well. Wise people want to learn more, so they listen closely to gain knowledge. So thank you for gaining knowledge. Thank you for listening and thank you for being here. So let's jump into this uh, topic that we have here tonight, disruptors in our church service. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but this is a vitally important topic. I think even more and more so nowadays when people are turning their eye towards the church and they're looking towards uh, people that are congregating where we can get uh, inside and maybe disrupt these crazy Christians with their crazy ideas. We wanna be prepared for this. And so I think it's important. Caleb, uh, Ray Coates, I see you out there. Carson, thanks for joining us, brother. Always a blessing uh, to have you joining us as well. So what we're going to need to do the first step really is having a good and i say this on just about everything we talk about here at protectors toolkit and i really don't think i could stress this enough we are going to need to stop being informal in our church safety and security ministries and we're going to have to become more formalized and the way the easiest way we do that is have written plans policies and procedures and it's no different when we're talking about disruptors or people coming into the church to disrupt us we're going to have to have a written plan policy and procedure for that why well number one it protects us it allows us to do what we need to do as protectors and gives us some guiding uh limitations it, it sets an aiming stake for us on the left and the right side and it it allows us to train our volunteers to the right level that we want them in our church we don't want them heavy-handed with something like this unless it's necessary we want to make sure we're guiding and leading every step of the way and the easiest way again to do that is have a written 
plan, policy, and procedure for just about everything or the major things we can plan to deal with in church. So if we can reasonably anticipate something uh, occurring in a church like a disruption, then we have to have responsible preparation for that. And that's going to be critical. So a plan, policy, and procedure first. And beyond that, then we have to determine the type, if we're going to have a disruption, when it occurs, we have to try to determine what type of disruption it is. And I've got three major categories that these typically fall into. Uh, when we're when the disruption happens, we want to be trained to this. So we can look for these three major types. Number one, uh, is this someone with just diminished mental, uh, mental faculties? Is this someone who is mentally challenged and maybe they don't know any better? better. This is maybe an outcry for them. Um, and, and so we recognize that early on. We're going to have a certain response for that. Uh, number two, is this uh, some sort of non-threatening disruption? Is this someone uh, who just doesn't know any better? And this could go into the first category as well. Or is it maybe that person who thinks, and uh, I don't know if you've experienced this before, that thinks the pastor is maybe talking directly to them. And so they're responding directly to the pastor. That type of uh, disruption is something we may experience more and more in our churches, especially if we have the unchurched or a large uh, section of our churches, unchurched type people, uh, they may start feeling that and feeling convicted maybe, and the pastor is talking directly to them. And so that may be a disruption when they stand up or they start to engage pastor one-on-one -on -one from the audience. That's a type of disruption as well. Um, is this a calculated maybe or purposeful disruption? Is this a group trying to make a name for themselves? Uh, do they have many people who have infiltrated our church and they're now uh, standing up on cue or something like that? So we have to determine if that is the type of disruption uh, as well. Or is this maybe someone in our congregation, someone we should have known about, um, someone we, we should have taken a measurement of that is in a crisis situation. Maybe it's a spouse who's going through a messy divorce or something like that, and they stand up. And then also in this, in all of these, you may have the political uh, disruption because now in the season that we're in currently, we do have people who feel one way or another about the current president, or the other candidate. And this may be something that comes to our church as well. I know in our church, we're, we're very uh, kingdom oriented, we're kingdom independence, but we do talk about voting. And so that may cause some people in our congregation to feel one way or another and maybe want to disrupt our service. So we try to identify which type that we're dealing with uh, when we're starting to formulate our plan based on our policies and how we're going to act and react. And that gives us our capabilities and abilities uh, that we're going to put into action then. So the first step in all of this is to number one, be prepared. I talked about that early on as having that good plan policy and procedure that is written down. And then you have training from qualified quality people to that. When we're dealing with a disruptive individual, you know, the first contact sometimes is going to be the most important. When we get engaged as a safety and security team or our protector team, or potentially our usher and greeter who stands uh, is standing closer, that first contact is going to be vitally important. It's going to set the tone for how we are responding as a church. And now remember, your volunteer teams are going to now be seen as a representative of your church. And so this is why I again point back to the necessity for training based on our written plans, policies, and procedures, we become more formalized in this. So we, we necessarily need to train our ushers and greeters. If they are going to be in the sanctuary and they're going to be near people, then we need to give them this training as well to tell them 
How are we going to interact? What is our response going to be? And how are we going to approach the situation? So they'll estimate the type of disruption they have, and then they'll get engaged in the proper way. Now, number one, they have to have the right tone of voice and the right uh, inflection in that when they are engaging with people. They have to be trained to minimize the disruption and then avoid any potential liability for the church. So whether it is you on your church uh, safety and security team, uh, on your protector team, or an usher and greeter, they have to be trained first to minimize, and this is called de-escalation, right? We need to de-escalize or minimize the situation and uh, then we're going to avoid or try to avoid as much potential liability for the church as possible. We also train, of course, our safety and security team, our protector teams. We're going to train them in this vitally important skill on how to minimize or de-escalate situations. Um, they, they have to be turned uh, how to interact with disruptive individuals. Uh, maybe it is that person in mental health crisis. We need to be trained in how we're going to respond and react to that type of individual as well. And so I cannot stress enough again that we formalize everything in this and then we have training to back that up based on the types of disruptions we can reasonably anticipate within our church. So some of the ways to do that, obviously seek out Protectors Toolkit. We have a one day scenario based training that goes over some of this. And we also have a one day de-escalation course that you can seek us out for. If you want us to come to your church, please hit us up admin at protectorstoolkit.com or right there on the Facebooks, uh, just drop us a private message. We'll get with you, I'll, I'll call you personally and we'll figure that out for you, what you need. We'll do a simple needs assessment for you. So first and foremost is being prepared and prepared means having training and training everybody that's in that system that will need to react. And then second, uh, close second is deterrence and deterring entry. Now you've heard some of my other videos where I talk about and I gave you the concentric rings of security that we build around our church. So if we're doing that right, if we put those things in place, then we may potentially deter these people from ever having access to our sanctuary. Remember, we wanna prevent access to people as much as possible from these type of individuals. Whether they are an active attacker or someone who is coming to disrupt our service, we should be able to figure them out. They should stand out to us. They should seem uh, sometimes like they don't belong or they don't fit in the place that they're in. And if they don't, if they do make it into the sanctuary, I'm gonna talk about that here in a second, but if we can build those good concentric rings of security and recognize them early on, then we can deter them. Now, when we do recognize a disruptor and they start their disruption process, you want to have someone predetermined to call 911. Whether you already have law enforcement on your team or not, it is going to be vitally important that you call 911 and get active on-duty police responding to your location. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, why that's important. Um, and some of, the, some of the reasons are because they will have to transport that person away potentially. And the easiest way to do that is with on-duty law enforcement. If the, if the disruptive individual hasn't entered your sanctuary, we want to prevent entry as much as possible. And sometimes just being that physical force right in front of them, blocking their access, and then having a, a word with them and a nice tone and the right inflection that tells them, hey, I need you to focus on me. I'm going to be the only one who's gonna be able to solve your problem right now and get them directly engaged with you. And that takes them kind of off the path of where they wanted to go. Maybe it was the sanctuary or maybe it was to go seek out pastor or, or um, any of the other members of the executive team within the church. So get them focused on you and direct them. We deter that with our bodies. Um, we also wanna get them moving to a specific location. So what does that mean? 
we have to have these predetermined as much as possible. And we do this through good training and plans, policies, and procedures. I don't want to beat that up too much, but I want to impress upon you that it is vitally important in this space that we become more formalized. It's going to be, it's going to be critical if we have these type of events and we have to uh, have police response. And then maybe we have a court case that comes out of this. We are going to have to show that we had due diligence responsible, reasonable preparation in advance for these type of events. So now we want to have these good predetermined locations. Hey, I need you to come over here with me. And our voice is going to determine a lot of times how that person is going to react to us. We're not going to give commands like we're a drill sergeant and use our knife hand and point at people. We're going to be very customer service oriented. You've heard me say this in some of the other videos I've done. I think it's vitally important that you understand this. Everything we do within the church protector team or in the safety and security team is customer service. And we are customer service professionals. We give everybody that we interact with a feeling, a good feeling. We give them the best customer service possible. Does that mean the customer is always right? No, but does it, it does mean that we will always give them the best customer service that we can give them based on what they're allowing us to give them. So. We also want to remember if we're taking people to a pre-designated location away from the majority of people to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them uh, or a conversation with them from us, that we use the two protector rule here. The two protector rule uh, helps us with a couple of things. Number one, it protects testimony. If you get off into one of these side areas and it's a, and you're having a conversation with someone, let's say it's a female disruptor that came into the church to try to disrupt. Well, you want to protect your testimony. If you can't get another female staff member over there, you at least want to have a witness that can be there and say, no, this did happen or this didn't happen if allegations start being thrown around. And also what that does for us by having the two protector rule is it has a show of force built into it. So if this disruptor is, is adamant about getting access to the church and or the pastor, uh, whatever their desire is, then we have a show of force right there that says, hey, partner, buddy, this is not going to be successful for you. We are here to deal with this situation, but you are not going to pass beyond this line here where we have you right now. So use a two protector rule when we get them off into these locations and, and have one-on-one -on -one personal conversation to try to de-escalate the situation. So let's say our concentric rings of security didn't work so well and the disruptor does get into our sanctuary. Um, the, the one thing that needs to happen when the disruption starts, there needs to be a call from the pulpit. Whoever is currently uh, talking at that moment or has the microphone or has the pulpit has to give a call to the congregation on what is expected. This is where all the direction in the church comes from. It comes from the pulpit at that moment. So if the disruptor is already in your sanctuary, church is going on, the message is being delivered and the disruption then starts we have to have the pastor prepared to give a message to the congregation. Because listen, let's say, and this has happened before, so I'm gonna bring this one up as an example. Two men stand up in the middle of your service, began kissing and chanting that Jesus was gay. That's going to make some people around them feel a certain way. The last thing we want to do is have people just in the congregation, our attendees and our guests and our members, go hands-on with somebody just because they feel a certain way about these people that are protesting or disrupting the service. So the message can come from the pastor, from the pulpit. Hey, we have a safety and security team here. They're going to deal with that individual. 
please do not touch them. That's a simple message. It comes from the stage, the position of power. And now it's a, it's a great message for the whole congregation. And if we are broadcasting our service or we're recording our service, we've given direction to everybody in our church on what we expect of them. We're not going to leave them to their own devices. We're not going to leave them to their own thoughts. We're going to give command direction from the pulpit, from the stage, from the person in charge up there currently, that you are not to touch these people. We have people that are prepared and trained to deal with this, and they will deal with it. That then allows our team to get into action a little bit more quickly, and it allows people to have a better sense of the whole thing, that it is being taken care of, it's not chaos, and it's going to be resolved. The chief objective or the main objective of anybody responding to a disruptive individual uh, is to redirect the attention to them. Like I said, if it's out in the foyer or we recognize them early on, or we get to them in the sanctuary after they stand up and have their disruption, we want to make sure when we interact with them, all the focus then becomes on us. Whether they were focused on the pastor or their message, we have a tone and inflection in our voice, and we have a stance that lets them know, number one, I'm in charge. I am someone that you can deal with. I am going to solve your problem, and all the focus should be on me. Now when we're redirecting this person, Hopefully that starts the de-escalation process because a lot of times in these non-violent type of encounters, what people want the most is to feel listened to. A lot of times they may have had pre-event indicators in, in this where they tried to talk to somebody, they let somebody know they were feeling a certain way. They maybe filled out a message card and turned it in and nobody got back with them. They're feeling something inside and now it's it's come to, the, to a boil where they have to get that out of them. And so a lot of times what we understand is people need to feel listened to. And so that, that main priority is to get the attention focused on us as the church protector, to let them know I'm going to be the one to solve your problem. It's the way that we talk to them, the way that we present ourselves to them. Remember, Proverbs 15, 1 says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we're going to have a good firm tone. We're going to make sure they understand that we are there to solve their problem. And maybe more importantly, we're there to listen to them. Now, when we interact with them, what we're going to do is we're going to try to remove them from the sanctuary. We don't need this a long process going on here where we have a conversation in the sanctuary and church cannot continue. We want to make this as seamless as possible and we try to get them out of the sanctuary. Now, sometimes you may have heard this in the past. If, if you're an old person like me, I heard this uh, when I was doing business development stuff was you want people to say yes, right? When you're trying to sell them something or make them do something or ask them to do something, you want people to say yes. Yes in the brain means that they're going to do it. But let me put this to you a little bit different way. If people can say no, if people can say no, then a lot of times they still think they retain control of that situation. So if they can say no in their brain, they think they're still in control. So maybe pose a question to them that allows them to say no. And then mentally, we play this little mental game with them where they think they're still in control of the situation. So maybe you may ask them in the sanctuary, hey, would it be crazy if we just stepped out into the hallway real quick and had a conversation? How does that go? They're going to say, no, it's not crazy. It's not a crazy concept, right? So now they're saying no. They think they retain um, the, they're in charge of this situation and they move out into the hallway for you. So understand that playing a little psychological game with that, allow them to say no to your situation. And that may allow them or make them think that they are still in control of the situation. 
here's where a lot of times in churches, we want to go hands on with people like this. In the instance where I brought up where two men stand up and start kissing and chant that Jesus is gay, you may have a, a feeling about that where you want to go hands on and yank them right out of church, right? You want to choke slam them to the ground and show them the error of their ways um, and let them have a, a little fight with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it is, but in the absence of you as a church protector, just an average citizen, just a volunteer with no law enforcement authority from your state, going hands on with somebody, unless you're preventing uh, loss of life or the death of somebody, that's going to be very difficult to defend. So let me say that again, unless you're preventing serious bodily injury to somebody or loss of life, someone's being assaulted, going hands on with somebody who is simply protesting in a nonviolent way is going to be very difficult to defend. And that's what we are to do in church, right? We're supposed to lower the risk of our church. And that could be a risk that we are not aware of. So I encourage you consult number one uh, with your attorney, consult with your insurance company. Chris, I see you out there. So I want to make sure I mention that. Consult with your insurance company on what to do in these nonviolent encounters, because these are the people that are going to support you. So get with your attorney, get with your insurance company and make sure we consult with them on the state laws for your specific state. Now, if you do have a law enforcement member on your team, he's badged up, he has the duties, powers, and authorities of the state that you are in. A lot of times, uh, most states have a, um, a criminal trespass law on the books, meaning we have to give you a notice that you are no longer to stay here or remain on this property. And if you continue to remain past that notice, then you can be immediately arrested. We have that here in the United States of Texas. All I have to simply do is tell someone, hey, as the authority of the church, I'm telling you, you cannot be here anymore. You have to go. If they um, give me the one finger wave or tell me something else, uh, I can pray for them really quickly, but they are going to be arrested. They're going to be arrested on the spot for criminal trespassing. And that's why it's, again, important that we call 911 so I can turn them over to the on-duty officers and get them processed the proper way off of the property. In any event, though, we want to make sure that we have the good plans, policies, and procedures uh, in place so we train people that we don't want to go hands-on unless it is absolutely necessary, and then we outline what are the requirements for us to go hands-on. Typically, it's going to be someone is uh, uh, suffering serious bodily injury or about to suffer serious bodily injury or death, and then we can go hands-on with those people. So, Chris, I see your question. If they haven't shown a weapon, uh, but they tell you that you have one, like I have a knife and not afraid to use it. How does that th change things? Um, and I see that actually happen to you. So yeah, absolutely. The threat of violence can be considered violence. We want to take that seriously. If someone is making that claim to us, then we can take that seriously. Now, I will just tell you, it's going to be all in what you articulate. So we want to be able to articulate that because in this situation where you go hands on with somebody, you're going to have to write a statement or maybe a couple statements or give a verbal statement to somebody. So what can we articulate? He had a bladed stance. He was in a fighting stance. He told me he had a knife. Someone I knew knew him said, yes, he always carries a knife. Whatever those mitigate, whatever those factors are that let you make the decision to go hands on with somebody, we have to be able to articulate those uh, to somebody and maybe even to a jury later on. So understand that. And I understand these, these uh, things, these situations unfold rapidly. So you're going to have to make the best guess in that scenario based on all the input or their totality, what the law says the 
totality of the circumstances. So if someone is threatening you, I have a knife and I'm not afraid to use it, that may cause you based on your um, your knowledge or your prior knowledge or what you're currently getting from that individual to say, yes, this person does have a knife, they're probably going to attack me and I have to stop that immediately. So I hope that answers your question, Chris. So from a risk mitigation perspective, and what again, that's what church protector teams should be doing is mitigating risk within our church. Uh, calling law enforcement for us solves a lot of different problems for us. Uh, it is a visible presence. So when someone in uniform shows up, that's an easily recognizable, identifiable uniform of the law enforcement agency for the area. Sometimes that is enough uh, of a visual deterrent to stop that person and get them focused on, hey, this is real, I'm going to jail now. Um, so it, it could stop the disruptive individual right then and there. More importantly, the officer's actions won't be attributed to your church. You had to call the police. That was necessary. That was reasonable preparation in advance and reasonable response. You called 911. It's in your policy that you were to do that. Now you're taking away, hey, the church is against this person. No, this that we did the right thing to protect our people here. And now the disruptive individual is focused on law enforcement and not so much on the church. And that's good for us in the church world. And also then we're relying on the training experience of local law enforcement. Um, it's not going to be a bad thing for our church safety and security ministry to rely on that. Now, I will just tell you, though, you understand this if you watch me for any amount of time, that relying on calling 911 and sitting back and hoping for the best is not going to be sustainable. 911 at best is 15 to 20 minutes away. If you're in a rural area, that's your that's your time. If you're in a bigger city, that may be your time or they may be right around the corner. So relying on that for your process is not going to be sustainable for you. So that's why we have the difference between professional first responders, those guys and gals uh, in law enforcement who are trained to respond to this and true first responders, your team, you, the people that are on scene when the action takes place, you're going to have to get engaged as quickly as possible. And again, we back that up with good plans, policies and procedures for that. So now outside of the solo disruptor, you may also experience some of the purposeful disruptions. Uh, some of the mega churches have seen this. I know Pastor Hagee's church in San Antonio has experienced this before. And these are typically groups that want to get their message out. They want to get their name known for whatever reason. So these may be people that infiltrate your church. Uh, if you're uh, having a mega church and you're having 30,000 in attendance, it may be difficult for you to recognize these uh, purposeful disruptors that are coming in. Uh, these come in one and one, infiltrate your church, sit in different sections, and then on cue, go into their disruption, whatever it is, whether it's playing flares or screaming, chant, or whatever it is. But even smaller to medium sized churches can experience this as well. Uh, if you are a church that is very pro, um, pro, pro baby and uh, anti abortion, you may have these type of protesters come into your church. Uh, if you're very anti-gay in your church and it's known in the, in the community, you may have these type of purposeful disruption in your church. So it's not to say that mega churches are the only ones that suffer this. You have to be prepared for this as well. Small, medium-sized church, it doesn't matter. I think we all have the same biblical stance and the biblical guidance. Um, so we may experience these type of disruptions. Um, so 
what you want to do typically as, mu as much as possible is understand that they are typically nonviolent in their protests. They want their message heard. They want their name out there. They want their logo out there. Um, and then typically they recognize that if we're having safety and security or when law enforcement shows up, they're going to be escorted off the property. They recognize that. They understand that and they typically plan for that. So they'll have their hands up. Uh, they won't be confrontational or punching people or stuff like that. So what we can do as a church, if you have enough church safety and security team members, we want to go to them one on one. We want to deal with them one person to one person and let them know, hey, we're on to you. This is not this is no this type of behavior is no longer tolerated. You need to leave now. And if you don't have enough, then you work with the most vocal or the closest uh, threat to you and then work your way down the line from there. So if you do have enough people, we try to go one on one with these purpose, uh, purposeful demonstrators as much as possible or disruptors. Uh, and if we don't have enough people to do that, we uh, try to mitigate and base that on a triage. Who is the most vocal? Who is the loudest? Who is doing the most? And we and we go to that first and then we work our way back as much as possible for that. So outside of that, um, if we don't have enough manpower, we talked about that in all instances. Uh, we have to remember in, in church safety and security, uh, the words of the great poet and cooler Dalton is just be nice to people, right? From the from the great training video Roadhouse, just be nice. There may be a time when it's so when you can't be nice, but for the most part in a church protector role, what we have to understand in these disruptions is and in, in, in especially the purposeful disruptions, we should be camera friendly. Let me say that again. We should be camera friendly because if they're coming in to disrupt us, maybe they're planning on us being heavy handed. Maybe they're also planning on us going hands on with them when we shouldn't. So we try to be camera friendly at all times. And how do we do that? Well, we already should have a heart of love, first and foremost, when we approach this and we have good customer service skills. Hey, listen, I know what you're here to do. You can no longer do this. Please come outside with me. That is a good show of love that will look good on a camera. If we are if we are choke slamming people and throat punching people in our church, that's going to be fun for that moment, but it's not going to look good on camera. So let's make sure we're camera friendly in everything that we do in this. I see you out there, Kathy. I know you watched that good training video. So once uh, the disruption is removed, we allow the police to respond and determine what other actions after that. Now, it's going to be critical you have a good AAR after this and after action review after this because we want to know what did we do right? What did we not do as well as we should have? Do we need to modify or change any of our plans? And how can we be better prepared for the next time? So a good AAR after any type of disruption, whether it's a solo disruptor, it's someone with a mental health crisis, something like that, uh, it's someone in a crisis themselves, we have to have a good AAR after that. So let's talk about that, uh, the insider disruptor. Now, the, one of the one of the things that we have to understand is there are people in our church that are coming uh, for uh, coming for major reasons, comfort, refuge, worship and learning. If they're coming for that refuge, if they're coming to seek something greater, if they're coming uh, because there's a crisis, a personal crisis in their life, then we have to understand that that may volatilely uh, erupt within our church. If they're not getting the help they need or they came and they're not getting fed in the right way from the word or the message, or they tried to make a meeting with the pastor and he didn't have time for them, uh, then we have to understand we may have an insider threat or an insider disruptor that uh, tries to get then the attention uh, that was lacking to begin with. So 
what I recommend, if you can do this, if you have the means and ability and capability at your church, is to have a threat assessment team. Now, there are a couple things that go along with this. Number one, you're going to have to have insider information. You're going to have to know from the pastor or the executive team or maybe the counselors within your church, these type of people. They're going to have to explore, expose those type of people to you. And then your team with that counselor, uh, with some of the executive team can sit down and make an assessment of this person. If it's someone going through a messy divorce, if it's someone who lost a child, God forbid, uh, whatever the crisis is that these people are having on their life, they could be a real risk to your church. So you want to make sure that you have a good threat assessment team. Um, these teams meet on a regular basis. It's not about judging that person. It's about judging the potential for uh, what could come. And we then have plans in place to mitigate that. Uh, maybe it is more counseling. Maybe it is having one of our team members stationed near them or sitting near them during service. Uh, maybe it's somebody who is uh, not known to be on the protector team uh, and they just look like they're another congregate and they're prepared to act if necessary. We want to be able to identify those people when they first enter onto our campus and just have a watchful eye and a, and a listening ear just in case. Uh, too many times the realization of what's going on in a person's life uh, becomes clear just after the violent event. And a lot of times what I said earlier was there are pre-event indicators to this type of behavior. So we want to be watchful and listening to those. A lot of times your ushers and greeter teams, they're standing out in the hallway, they're listening to people talk and chat. They may pick up on some of this. So that's why we allow them to see something, say something, and more importantly, like I like to say, do something. That's my little tag on the end of that. So the insider disruptor, we have to understand, is a real potential for us that we can, if we can develop a threat assessment team and have our counselors involved. Um, Kathy, I do see your question there. Sometimes counselors all are involved in the church security teams. And it's becoming more and more prominent, especially in some of the bigger churches. We're recognizing that people are coming in crisis to church and seeking churches out. And uh, it, this is my friend, Kathy Bustos, and she's part of the peer support couple. And in a couple uh, episodes from now, you're going to see them on a Warrior Wednesday. And I'm so excited about that. I want to make sure that I just call her out now. Uh, and you're going to be blessed by her message that she's going to bring for you and your protective teams as well. So when we uh, last but not least, I'm going to leave you I'm going to leave you with this thought process here. When we respond to these type of disruptions, whether it's the um, uh, someone with a mental health challenge or deficiency, um, it's someone in a crisis uh, in our church. Uh, it's someone that is purposefully, it's a group that's purposely uh, protesting our church. We want to make sure we're not approaching this with fear. You've always heard that, you've always heard that, right? When you approach a dog, he can smell fear on you. Well, it's, it's the same kind of with this crisis that people or these protesters have too, or these disruptors have. They can smell the fear on you. If you're not approaching it with a calm demeanor, you're not per approaching it with uh, hum the right amount of humility that show shows that you have the capability and ability to deal with this, and you don't have the right tone of voice, they can smell that on you, so to speak, and they will know that. And this may allow them to engage further. It may uh, allow them to disrupt further because they don't believe you are the authority that can solve their problem or that can stop them from doing what they're doing, or they don't, um, they're don't. they not going to pay attention to you at all. Remember 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-control. And it's gonna be vitally important for all of our teams to live by that. We don't approach these things, these disruptions with fear in any way. Outside of the purposeful disruptor, the, the majority of solo disruptors simply want someone to listen to them. Think about that. Anytime you've had a crisis in your life, whether you've admitted it to yourself or not, you typically wanted somebody just to listen to you. Now, man, I'm talking to you. Pay attention. We're really bad at that. 
We've got to get really good at that. We have to allow people to listen to us. And it unburdens us. It allows people to hear us. And sometimes the disruptors, and by and large, if they're if they're nonviolent disruptors, they do want to feel listened to. That's their main goal or objective. Whether it's the focus is the pastor or the congregation as a whole or the church as a whole, they want someone to listen to why they're disrupting the service. Even your purposeful disruptors want someone to listen to their message. And the more we make people feel like we're actually concerned and we give them empathy and sympathy about their message at that time, the, le the less likely they are to escalate that situation. And now we're working on good de-escalation. Okay. Outside of that, the law for you churches, the law is on your side. If case law has shown time and time again, we can turn people away from our church for no reason. We don't have to allow people to access our church just be just because we have an open open campus uh, type of environment. So understand that. Case law supported us doing this time and time again. We're not required to just allow anybody to have access to our church, to our people, to our sanctuary, or even our buildings or our property. Case law is on. So in that, let's watch a little video of a disruption in church, and then we'll kind of unpack that a little bit, and then we'll wrap this all up. The police are going to come in here really hot, so I want everyone outside right now. We are getting our first look at the terror inside an Easter service in Claremont. A pastor guiding a crowd to safety after a mother threatened to shoot up the church while holding her baby. Good evening, I'm Steve Atkinson. And I'm Lindsay Pena. 10 News reporter Jennifer De La Cruz was in court today. And Jen, that pastor is being hailed as quite a hero. Well, no one knew that gun wasn't loaded at that time, and that quick-thinking pastor was able to prevent a panic. That surveillance video released for the very first time in court today. I want all you guys to just get down and pray. Just get down and pray. Get down and pray. Pastor Ben Wisen staying incredibly calm during a moment of chaos. This is a surveillance video released just today from the Easter Sunday service where a mother threatened to open fire. You see the pastor on the left, Conky on the right, holding her baby in one hand and a gun in the other. I want our ushers to stand up, get people out. Just get people outside. Get people outside, don't worry. 31-year-old Conky sat in shackles as she relived those moments in court. Pastor Wisen sharing his side of the story. She said that, she said, you guys don't know what it means to be willing to die. She had a baby and a gun, and we had a pretty good feeling that she was going to get shot, um, and maybe some of our people were going to get shot. Thinking fast to prevent panic. I thought first, I'm pretty sure that's a real gun, and then I thought, okay, that um, there's something that looks like a laser sight on it. So it could be a taser, and I know that this will keep people a lot calmer. And so I'm just gonna say it's a taser out loud. It's just a taser, but we want everyone outside. The pastor even trying to protect her from getting hurt. Anna, you gotta put that down. The police can come really hot, and they don't, they don't know it's a taser. You gotta put it down right now. Conkey had also allegedly threatened to blow up the church at one point, calling police on herself. Churchgoers were eventually able to wrestle the gun out of Conkey's hand and get the baby to safety. And Conkey does face up to 23 years behind bars if convicted. A judge today did decide there is enough evidence to take this case to trial. She's due back in court October 28th. Reporting live downtown, Jennifer Dela Cruz, 10 News. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they didn't have a church safety and security team. And then also nobody had talked to the pastor about what to do in a disruption like this. Uh, first and foremost, he told everybody to get down and pray. 
I don't think somebody standing with there with a gun, that's the right way to do. I'm not going to armchair quarterback this, but that's not what I would teach my pastor to do in those situations. I do also want to point out that she did, did have good trigger discipline. Uh, she had a finger indexed along the slide there. But in this type of disruption, we want to be able to tell our pastor, this is what you're going to do. This is what we are capable of doing, and this is what we are going to do based on our plans, policies, and procedures. We have to give our pastors learn to pastor. That's what pastors learn to do. They depend on us to be safety and security and comfort for for people in this type of situation. So we have to be prepared as well. Some of the ways to do that, again, is seek out qualified quality training for your team. Get a good de-escalation course. If you want that from Protectors Toolkit, let us know, admin at protectorstoolkit.com. If you want scenario-based training for your team, where we come out again to your church and train your team on uh, events like this, again, admin at protectorstoolkit.com. We'd love to service you in that. Uh, and just if you need a phone call from me to go over a needs assessment, what is you, where are you currently at with your program and where do you want to go? That's free. Call me or I'll call you. Send us a message, private message, however you need to get in touch with us. We'll do that for you. So you can see in a disruption like that, we want to make sure that we're doing everything right. In all instances, prior preparations with qualified quality training is going to be vitally important. We know and recognize pre-attack or pre-crisis indicators because we trained ourselves to do that. Verbal de-escalation is something we should be training all of our teams to do. And last but not least, the Bible tells us the tongue holds the power of life and death in Proverbs 18:21. When properly used, words can de-escalate even the worst situation. Now, getting to the social media slide I put up a little bit earlier right there. Make sure you go find us on all of our social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Go find us, interact with us, share it to others. That's part of the Great Commission, I think, is not just sharing Protectors Toolkit necessarily, but sharing and sharpening someone else and going out and growing this type of community for you protectors out there. We love to bring these type of messages to you so you know someone. I definitely, think, I definitely know you know someone in your sphere of influence that would benefit from this and be blessed by this message. So share all of our social media as much as possible and continue to interact with us. If you're interested in the membership site, listen, you've got to get into the membership site of Protectors Toolkit. All this training and more is in there in depth for your teams. There's blogs in there for you to read. There's training for your teams, monthly training in there for your teams. There's everything you need to go from good to great to build, develop and lead your church protector team. The greatest thing about this is I give you something back that you can't buy time in your day. I know you all like to have central heat and air and you live inside. So you, to do that, you have a job to go do Monday through Friday usually. And you and you get to church safety and security on the weekends. I'm giving you time back in your day where everything is already done for you at the, at the Protectors Toolkit membership site. Listen, promo code Warrior Wednesday. Get your first month at only $10 right now. Get your first month at only $10 right now. Get in there. If you don't like it, get out. That's fine. If you, uh, you want to see something different in there, let us know that too. Protectors Toolkit membership site is for its members. It's not driven by us. It's driven by you. Hip Pocket Training for our insider members. If you are already a member of Protectors Toolkit, you are on the Facebook members only community page. Hip Pocket Training is coming out for you tomorrow. Watch for it. If you out there are watching this and want to know what Hip Pocket Training is, well, sorry, you got to be a member to see what that is. Maybe we'll drop one out there in, in the uh, regular web for you as well, just to kind of give you a taste of what that is. But Hip Pocket Training, really easy to get in. Tips, text, uh, tips and techniques for you as the everyday Christian warrior. And again, Go find us everywhere that we are. Find our Word in a Weapon podcast. 
this is something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. Again, I give you a word, something from the Bible, something that means something for uh, from me, and I kind of dissect it a little bit for you. And then at the end of that, I give you a weapon, something you can put in your toolbox or on your tool belt to take with you in your everyday walk as a Christian. And also, don't forget to keep watching and sharing our Get Addicted to Your Personal Safety uh, post that we put out there as well. And as always, Warriors, I always end it this way, and it's vitally important. Keep them safe.